0: Welcome to Episode 2 of the Finding Sustainability Podcast. This is Stefan Pardalow. Today in the podcast, Michael and I are talking with Emma McKinley. Emma is a research fellow in the Brazil Coast Project at the University of Cardiff in Wales. And she's also the chair, co-founder and managing the Twitter account of the Marine Social Science Network. So Emma and the Marine Social Science Network have been doing really great things, and they've been growing very quickly, something that i am also been personally interested in over the last year or so. And among the social science, uh, Marine Social Science Network, she's also focused in her research on social interactions with the marine and coastal environments, marine spatial planning, ecosystem management and ecosystem services, understanding different public connections uh, of people in the sea in the UK. So the conversation was really awesome. We touched on a lot of different topics, including her research and her experience with the Marine Social Science Network, which I encourage all of you to get involved in and check it out on Twitter or on their website, uh, Um and she explains all the different ways that you can follow the, the network and the platform in the podcast, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, Emma, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having
0: me along to talk, no problem. Yeah, so, you know, one of the reasons we want to have different guests from different backgrounds and different parts of the world onto the podcast is, um, yeah, to understand the kind of diversity of the field of environmental social sciences and all the different types of social scientists are out there working in the environmental realm. What would you say that your kind of bio is and your upbringing? I know I saw um, uh, you gave a nice... uh, keynote presentation at, at a conference we were both at last fall, and it was quite interesting. So what, what is your background coming into academia?
1: Um, within the social science community, I'm probably a little bit of a fraud. Um, my my background very much started within natural sciences. So my, my degree is marine biology, and I always was interested in, in marine biology. And before I even really knew what that was. And um, that's kind of what everybody really expected me to do. Um, and, and um, you know, my fascination with the this, the sea kind of really drove that. Um, I don't even think I knew it was something that I could actually really do until I went to look at universities and it, the words kind of just came out of my mouth like what are your university courses in, in marine biology and and that was kind of it really but as I said I was very much a marine biologist very much within natural sciences and um, my degree was at the University of Stirling in Scotland um, looking at Yes, yeah, so very marine biology focused, very aquaculture focused actually. Um, and then I went on to do a master's at Bangor University in the School of Ocean Sciences, um, which is Marine Environmental Protection. Um, and again, it was very natural science focused really. There's, there was a little bit more of the social side in there with um, kind of starting to look at EIAs and starting to think about human impacts more broadly, but but really still very um, natural science based. My my master's thesis was looking at, was using stabilisotopes on shark muscles and tissue samples to look at dietary shifts so like i said you know very much a natural scientist and then um, i in between finishing my master's and kind of figure out what to do next i guess because i wasn't really sure what my next step was i knew i wanted to stay in academia but i didn't really know what what the next step was going to be and um, i went and worked as a research assistant um, on a project in thailand um on a conservation project and, and that was kind of where I had the conversation that really changed my career path, and um, I was um, kind of speaking to tourists on um, on one of the Thai islands on the west coast about fishing efforts and fishing activities in in the region. And it was relatively soon after the tsunami had happened, um, and the very wealthy Western couple asked me why we couldn't just tell people to stop fishing. And this was very much, a, you know, an island which is very dominated by fishing communities and to have these very privileged people say well why can you just not tell people to stop doing something because of the environmental damage they saw it from an environmental perspective and they were trying to do something positive but it was a conversation that really sparked um much deeper awareness of the fact that actually it's not that simple Mm. um and it's a very complex picture and while we might want to um uh, manage our marine and coastal environments because we are fascinated and we love the biodiversity and the ecology side of it actually it's people's behavior that we need to be more aware of you know it's, it's us that can make those changes and the fish are just going to keep swimming where they want to swim so um, it was really that conversation that changed my career trajectory really and I, I ended up doing a, a PhD at Bournemouth University on the south coast of England and um, with Steve Fletcher on marine citizenship um, and that was, you know, a, a total change of pace for me. I mean, I think it took me a, a good year to get my head around the different language that's used within social sciences and to really feel comfortable within that space. It took me quite a long time to get, to kind of um, come into my own around marine social sciences. Um, but that's where I've been ever since. So now I'm you know, very much within that, that field of research. And I do like, I think my background means I can cross those disciplines though, because I think it means I can talk to and work with natural scientists, understanding that they are research perspectives, but also having and bringing in that social dimension as well, which has been really great.
0: So when you look at your journey, um, going through the different parts, natural science and switching over to social sciences, where do do you sit right now? What are the main things that you focus on in your research or in in your working group or in your department where you are?
1: I'm a bit of an anomaly where, where I am. We've got a small team under the marine geography um, kind of name and the degree programme and we sit within the School of Earth and Ocean Sciences which is very um, dominated by physical sciences um, lots of climate change work, lots of paleoclimate research. Um, my work is very much around ecosystem services and their values um, public perceptions of marine um, and coastal environments and how that translates into behaviour change so things like understanding ocean literacy and how that can be harnessed to engender changes that we might want to see. And thinking about how all of that can be um, considered within policy and governance. So how can how can we make management decisions and governance decisions that actually supports those um, behaviour changes that we need to kind of you know, address some of the challenges that are facing our global seas. So, um, most recently, my work has been focusing on salt marshes. Um, I'm not a salt marsh expert, but I've worked with um coastal communities around Wales, um, looking at how salt marshes are valued, um, not economically valued, so I'm not an economist, but looking at the more social and cultural values of salt marsh systems as a coastal fringe environment, um, and thinking about how those are used um, by different stakeholders and different land users how different needs can be met by those environments and how we need to kind of manage for all of those needs and what the trade-offs are between those. So quite, again, it's, it's a really complicated picture. and I, I kind of work across um, those different elements of it, I suppose. Um, and then obviously I've been doing my work around marine social sciences. So I've also done some work recently for um, DEFRA, who are our Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Um, to look at the UK's current level of marine social science capacity and you know who's doing what, where are people working, what are the themes of research, what are our, our challenges and our opportunities um, and what where are the gaps, I guess, in terms of what could we be doing in the future?
0: Cool, well, yeah, we definitely want to touch on the Marine Social Science Network, which you've been involved in, but maybe a few questions before that. You know, it, it sounds like you work really in an interdisciplinary or kind of multidisciplinary setting and has that transition from being kind of in both sides of it, like having a natural science background and then transitioning over, do you think that's made it easier for you to integrate into a multidisciplinary uh, department or a working environment?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think um, it was a very um, conscious decision on my part to, but when the post and with the project I was originally employed to work here on came up, it was a very conscious decision from from my perspective to apply for the position because of the interdisciplinarity um, and wanting to get Involved in a project that allowed me to have my foot in the natural science world a little bit, I guess applying the social science work that I was doing um, a bit more. And I think um, it's been fun. It's been a really great experience. The the project, um, Brazil Coast, which is the original project I was employed on here at Cardiff, was very interdisciplinary. Um, We had um, ecologists, um, modelers, um, kind of sediment dynamic experts. Um, governance experts social scientists and, and it's been really an, a really nice mix of people and i think people have really um worked well together and been really quite respectful of each of those disciplines and really seen the value of working mm. across those disciplines which has been fantastic um, in terms of our position within the school i think the same is true i think you know increasingly we're starting to see more and more calls for um that interdisciplinarity and i think my having that background and I guess in between finishing my PhD and, and coming to work in Cardiff I also worked in a business school um, at the University of Chichester, um, which is also kind of the south coast of England and I kind of felt that gave me a really great insight into working with industry and working with stakeholders. It was a small university, the, the projects we were working on were very much around, um, they were almost more like consultancy based work rather than research projects. Our, our focus was very much on Creating added value for the local economy, for the local businesses, and for local communities and stakeholders. So it, it meant I'd had some really nice insights into working with some of the maritime industries that we've hmm. engaged with kind of more latterly in later projects. So I think those kind of different elements really helped with coming on, on board this project and working within the department.
2: Cool. Yeah. Stefan, we- can I jump in for too as well? Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really fascinating. It reminds me of I, I went to a um, a talk by you know a geographer, of course, whose name I can't remember now, a couple of years ago, <laughs> who would, had been on some big inter- interdisciplinary um, project that you know in some ways had been successful, but really hadn't really <clears throat> succeeded in being you know whatever we would think of as truly interdisciplinary. And I you know I've been on a few projects that you know in some ways were successful, but it also felt like we weren't like deeply integrating the different work that different folks were doing. You know, it it seems like it's very, um. You know, sometimes like the path of least resistance can be, oh, we, you know, we find a sociologist or an anthropologist, we find an environmental scientist that we kind of know, and we ask them to like be on the project and then write up their section of the proposal, et cetera. And you know, the next step, which is always the hard one, is how do we actually get these pieces to talk to each other? And the thing that the fellow said that has resonated with me that I'm reminded of now is that, you know, a lot of these things need to happen kind of organically. Um, yeah, yeah. The people need, you know, it takes time to develop social capital, et cetera. And so I'm really, you know, the, the idea of, you know, how can you get more organic than, than these different perspectives actually being held within the same mind of one person, who's kind of developed, <laughs> right? Like that's that's fairly organic to like learn, learn one perspective, transition to another perspective. Um, so I suppose the question is, you know, you know, do you does this idea of developing things kind of from the bottom up, organically, jibe with how you now experience inter, like good interdisciplinary work?
1: Wow, that's a really good question. Um, I think, well, firstly, I think that challenge that you mentioned about working across disciplines is something I definitely experience and we, you know, we, we see it all the time, particularly, as you said, with, with project development. And it's something that I'm not sure we were truly transdisciplinary. I think we were able to recognize and respect each other's disciplines. And I think that, mm-hmm. that happens a lot. But whether we were able to effectively, I mean, we're still writing some of the work up. So we'll see. I mean, I'm working a lot with the, the natural science research fellow who was on Brazil coast, and we collaborate a lot together. I think they've taken on board a lot of the social science elements and they are very much they were very much an ecologist
2: mm-hmm. and they're really
1: building social science into their work now. So I think that's really interesting to see. Um but yeah, so I just I think we still have, have those some way to go for true interdisciplinarity, I think. Um, yeah. but we're getting there. Um, in terms of how we we I kind of think it that it works in that bottom-up approach. I think Um, I think it really depends. I think, that you said, the the easiest way to do it is to work with people you know, work with people that you know you can work well with, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: you trust them to work up their part of projects or to collect their data. And it's always going to be a challenge to work across those disciplines and and view things from different people's perspectives. Um, I do think my quite mixed background has meant that when I go into projects, i I try to at least see things from from different perspectives so i can kind of see where where stakeholders might really push back against a really academic exercise in a workshop so even though it might be way more interesting from an academic perspective i know that from a stakeholder perspective that's not what they need it's not what they want and like i kind of it's meant i can recognize that quite quickly Um, and i think that's really really important when you're depending on working with communities and stakeholders in the kind of work that we do a lot of the time, it's really important to kind of recognize those signals and recognize their needs from what you're asking them to contribute to as well. It needs to be valuable for both, for all parties, I guess.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. A friend of mine sometimes says that it, it would help. So I'm in an in interdisciplinary uh, PhD program here and a friend of mine here says that we kind of need to develop an understanding of how difficult, um, it is for each other to answer our questions yeah because sometimes yeah. you look at a result and think oh well that's like 50 observations that i could produce that in a day right and it's like well yeah. no like each of these observations is a three-hour talk yeah in like a rural village or something is, 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 does that how does
1: Abs- absolutely i think that's that's definitely something that's come out through recent experiences actually i was um on a, a, a funding review panel recently just in the last few weeks um and it was a very mixed um, group of experts only two people with social science backgrounds and the the call was a quite an interdisciplinary call and um, for project funding and um, somebody had scored um, a project really highly and and I had quite strong concerns about the social science methods because the person's the, the applicants background was very natural sciences which is totally fine so it meant that their their understanding and, and what they would proposed from a social science perspective was maybe a bit weaker Um, and the reviewer said well they've they've done a better job than me so I think it's really good and I think that's a real challenge is it's like yeah just designing a questionnaire or setting out a quadrat survey or whatever it might be you know we have to be respectful of the rigor and the robustness and the challenges that each discipline faces and and, you know trust that um, there's a lot of expertise that goes into designing projects and designing um, research programs across all of those disciplines and I think having that mapped out in some ways would be quite nice Mm -hmm. it's been one of the things actually you mentioned the marine social science network it's been one of the things that's come up through some um conversations that have been had through that is about having some sort of um directory of terminology and of approaches and things that would help uh, that are associated with marine social sciences that could maybe help those more traditionally based within natural and physical sciences to kind of understand what a questionnaire, or an interview, or a, like a, these three-hour conversations, or ethnography-based approaches actually means and entails when you're talking yes. about it from a research perspective, and the resources required, not only to do the research but also to analyse the data. And I think that's something that always gets missed. Is you know, interview transcripts just take forever. <laughs> so I think it's actually the analysis um, as well that's quite important.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know that's something we, Michael and I have also discussed as as potentially being part of the Environmental Social Science Network idea or the the website we would like to build. I had one more question to follow up on the interdisciplinarity Mm -hmm. thing. Something that I've been thinking about for a while is, you know, what what drives like a push towards multi- and interdisciplinarity? Um, Is it this balance between having organizational structures which facilitate that um, versus kind of having willing individuals who have diverse skill sets like yourself who can go up into uh, into a project and really facilitate that from the bottom up. You know, what is this bottom up top down balance in terms of facilitating that? And do you have any thoughts in, in your experience on what is the, the better driver for that?
1: That's that's really tricky. I think increasingly, you know, we're, we're seeing that these big wicked problems and these global challenges, you know, we need to take an interdis- interdisciplinary perspective to address many of them. Um, So things like the Sustainable Development Goals, you know, they're not purely ecological goals. They're they're across a number of spectrums, a number of sectors, um, and we'll need various disciplines to address those. So I think increasingly we're seeing it maybe from a, that the ideal would be that it would be from a top down and you would see those calls. I think you're still seeing research happening in silo when you look at funding calls. Um, and project proposal calls, particularly in the UK, we you know, we have our um, our research councils are now under one um, banner, so UK Research and Innovate, um, which I think represents seven, I think it's seven research councils across a range of different disciplines. Um, and I think there'll be a hope that in time that will mean that there's more um, integration across the funding calls but at the moment they're still quite siloed um, so natural sciences work very much with natural sciences and we tend to get a bit of social science battered on the end because um, we have to look at impact and we have to look at societal value within this but it, it's not necessarily the main focus um, and the same with the social science stuff you, you don't necessarily have the underpinning natural science work that might feed into application of social sciences funding. So I think I think it's still a really a, a, a mix. Um, I think more and more people are coming at things from a bit of a mixed background. I know quite a lot of people um, within my own kind of research network are people who started off within natural sciences and are moving increasingly into um, social sciences or at least using elements of social science within their research and I think that's probably a little bit to do with the um, dominance of conversations around ecosystem services, natural capital, working with nature, um, the ideas of citizenship and kind of environmental citizenship as well and, and, and the behaviour change stuff um, so I think I think it's really a bit of a mixed bag um, and I wonder whether the large kind of Large-scale media campaigns. There's things like Our Planet that's just come out this week. You know, whether showing, sh- using platforms like that to reach these large audiences, and then showing impact of how we communicate our science to those kind of different audiences and those not working within within the, the fields that we we work in. You know, whether that might cause more and more interdisciplinarity, whether the the need for working across sciences will become more and more relevant um, as public interest in environmental issues um increases obviously that tends to go in peaks and troughs so we'll see right. but yeah, i do wonder whether that might have an influence as well
0: right do you i mean it seems to me i've met quite a few people as well who you know started their journey in masters or bachelor programs even phd programs early on in the natural sciences and then later they've only switched into the social sciences mm. And, you know, what is what is the biggest challenge in that transition or what was the biggest challenge in that transition for you? I think one of them that I come across is uh, it's not always the perception that sometimes, you know, the social sciences are the action arm of, of the natural scientists. Um, but That's certainly not the case. Um, what, what, what is your experience on that? Um,
1: I think the perception that it's easy, like I think I think um, and that it's somehow easier. Um, I, I, I mentioned earlier that when I, when I started my PhD I, I definitely, you know, it took me quite a long time and a lot of brain power to change how I was reading. I wasn't used to papers academic papers being set out the way they were in journals of environmental economics and environmental education and even things like marine policy. They just weren't that wasn't the kind of information I was used to reading and used to ingesting. So that is an initial starting point. I've definitely found that tricky and it's something I say to anybody who's um, thinking of transitioning into a different discipline or taking on an interdisciplinary project to kind of be aware that that will take time and that's okay um, and then kind of more I guess more consistently over the last ten twelve years or so since I started my PhD Um, I think the yeah the perception that it's easy and that you that anybody can do it and then it's really easy for someone with no training to, to just start working in any, you know, to to design a questionnaire or to design an interview program or to set up a workshop and deliver and facilitate a workshop. Um, and actually we know that that all takes quite a lot of training and practice and you don't always get things right. And you've got to put a lot of planning into those, um, into how you ask a question and the setup of a room and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I think that's definitely been something that I get, um, Confronted is not quite the right word, but you know that that, come, that crops up um, more regularly than anything else, I think.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's um, let's transition over to the Marine Social Science Network. What is the Marine Social
1: Science Network? <laughs> Great question. Um, so the Marine Social Sciences Network is a international interdisciplinary network of researchers and practitioners. Working within or interested in marine social sciences—it's really, really broad. It's—it's um, it's very early days. We've been—it um, kind of started off with a um, initial scoping meeting last January, so January 2018, um, in London. Um, that came about because of just some conversations I'd had with with different people about, I guess, the feeling that the research community in the UK felt quite fragmented. Um, and that there was perhaps a need for a platform or a space for those working within marine social sciences and so we tied it onto a large annual conference that happens in january every year the coastal futures conference Um, and they've supported us and to do to run that event which is fantastic and we um we held at the royal geographical society and we had 35 different um, different attendees and they represented a real mix of of um stakeholders and, and, and actors, I guess. So we had um, consultants, we had people from government, we had, and, and across the four, um, or we at least tried to get representation from across the four devolved administrations in the UK, so it wasn't just very England-focused, that we were taking account of the needs of all four countries, um, which obviously always adds a bit of complexity for us. Um, and we had um, NGOs, research um, academics, obviously, um, charities, and then a couple of international organisations as well. And, and the focus of the meeting really was first to think about how marine social sciences or how social sciences more broadly could be used to support marine and coastal management and policy making within the UK. And then the secondary question, which actually ended up really being the focus of the of the session, was whether or not there was a space and a demand for a marine social sciences network and whether it would be something that would be of benefit to the wider research community. Um, and there was really an over. Um, overwhelming sense of it being a yes that actually there was a real demand and a call for that um but we had um representatives from the future earth coasts program when they were based in cork so martin letizia when he was based in cork and he was involved in discussions he could not make the meeting but he was involved and we had um tim acott from the greenwich maritime center and then steve fletcher who was at the um, UN Environment World Conservation Monitoring Centre. So three kind of outward facing international facing organisations, really, and um, to keep them involved, we really, not not just to keep them involved, but we, you know, they kind of raised the question was, is a UK network the way to go? Um, Because obviously, just because you're based at a UK institution, it doesn't mean you'll be working within the UK you might be working somewhere very, very different. Um, and so it kind of went from there. We, we set up um, and we really set up initially as an online community. And the interest and the momentum that that created just by setting up a Twitter um, profile and getting a website up and running has been immense. So we now have over 1,200 people engaging with us over Twitter. Um, we have over 250 sites wow. up for our newsletter. Yeah, and it's been really amazing. I mean, we've run um we've run a couple of workshops since the initial one. We were I ran a couple of workshops um over the summer last year. One in Malaysia at the International Marine Conservation Congress, um and then one at the Greenwich Maritime Centre Conference Society in the Sea, um in September where the the network was launched. And and I guess kind of coming back to the idea of a bottom up approach, I really felt like yes, there is a space for this, but I don't want to be the one that tells the community what, what they need. I really wanted it to be something that was driven by the needs of the community. And I wanted to make sure that there, those voices were heard. So we ran, as I said, ran those workshops um, to try and give us a feel for some things that we could do in the future and what might be, you know, what, what the network could provide the community. Um, I guess that will depend on, you know, it will vary um, in time and space, I guess, a little bit. Um, but some of the things that have been suggested have been things like that um, kind of directory of, or glossary of, of terminology that might be helpful to support collaboration and, and interdisciplinarity and um, having a directory of experts is something that has really really been pushed for and we're just at the process of starting to look at funding to support that through the network so that the the network can become a place where you know people who want to work within marine social sciences or want to look for collaborators can can come to us and, and search for people working in particular countries, working in particular areas of research on particular topics, using particular methods, and hopefully it'll be something that is quite um, kind of self-fulfilling in its, in a way. I, I, I think at the moment we're very, um, I guess, quite an, an, an informal network and our main objective is communication and creating a sense of community and i think we've achieved that and are achieving the communication side um but i think there is more that we can do around increasing capacity and supporting collaboration and that's what we'll look at doing over the next 12 months or so and um, yeah i think that's definitely the next steps
0: cool well i definitely have to applaud you guys it's uh it's been amazing to see how fast the network has grown and how you, how you and the others have, have developed that in, in such a short time frame I and mean, only a year. And you have such a big following so far. Um, Thanks.
1: Yeah. It's been great. The, the momentum, like, I think I set the Twitter, I don't even think it's been a year since I set up the Twitter um, right. page and it's like, it went up, I was, I was almost a bit offended that they had more followers than me at one point, And I was like, oh, That's <laughs> like, hang on a second. Um, so it's, um it, and it went up really, really quickly. So I think um, that just speaks to the huge level of interest in these areas of research and practice as well. And I think that's really important to mention is that we're not we're not setting ourselves out to be an academic network necessarily. And um, we mm. really want to recognize the, the valuable work that's being done at community level, within coastal partnerships, within um, charities within NGOs. and you NGOs. Know, they're doing some great research, but also applying it on the ground. I think it's really important that we don't miss that so we're hoping that the aim is that the network is is really inclusive um, and you know also engaging with and maybe i guess being really taking interdisciplinarity but really quite seriously and and thinking that we're you know there are natural scientists that have contacted me and said you know am i allowed to to sign up to the newsletter of course we want to you know that's kind of part of the point is to raise the profile of what we do but also if we can help raise um capacity or increased capacity but also look at opportunities for collaboration that's great um but also looking to engage more with arts and humanities um, and maybe some of the disciplines that maybe are a little bit outside the more traditional social sciences as well and looking at ways that we can all work together
0: yeah well i know that the the network and then the newsletter and the twitter feed has all been really useful for me personally and one of the things that you (laughs) mentioned in there was um, this idea that you wanted to develop the idea for the for the network from the bottom up, you know, you, you and a few, group a few others kind of started the idea for the platform uh, and the network, but that you wanted to kind of release it into the into the wild and, and see where the demand is really coming from to have such a network. Um, mm-hmm. What has been some of the challenges that you face for that? And because, you know, marine social sciences and social science in general is it's also a hugely broad field of people coming together. Uh, there's many different types of social scientists and, you know, has there been any kind of, what has been that, has that process been like to to develop the vision for the field collectively?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess at the moment we're still, we are quite open. And I think we probably haven't maybe nailed down exactly what our vision for marine social sciences is. And I think that's been quite um, conscious. You know, we, we've not wanted to do that. And um, because I think everybody is everybody who I've, most people who I've spoken to have been quite open and welcoming of the idea of it being quite a, a, a mixed and interdisciplinary group. We have definitely faced um some, not pushback, but some questions about maybe moving away from strict social sciences. Um, but I think that represents, you know, I think we need to move away from it just being strict social sciences because that that's representing the community of people working within marine social sciences and working within that space. And um, and one of the things I I didn't want to happen was that we just created yet another silo, and yet another group of people that aren't right. necessarily talking to each other. And we were really at risk of doing that. Um, so I think that was something that came out quite strongly was that in the actually in all of the workshops really was that. You know they didn't we didn't want to work in isolation again it, it it the whole point was that it was about creating opportunity for collaboration that's not but it's not to say that there's not been a little bit of um just a few questions raised about that and i think it's something we definitely need to um, make sure we continue to respect um around the the more um, yeah the more traditional interpretations of social sciences um in terms of being a really mixed bag yeah I mean it's going to be really challenging going going forward to be everything to everyone um and at the moment a lot of the the activity is driven by me um and I can only engage with so many things so that's something that we're looking to do at the moment is kind of expand the committee so that we can try and take account of some more of that mixed and those mixed audiences and make sure they're represented a bit more um but it, it it's quite an organic entity at the moment. And I think that will become a little bit more structured over time, but the, the fluidity is working really, really well just now. And I think especially when we're just starting out and we want to keep that momentum going and keep that goodwill, I guess, going that, I think that fluidity is, is definitely a benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one um, of the can other... Can th- a
2: follow up question to that? Of course. Yeah. Um, no, this is all really interesting. It, it, you know, it reminds me of the discourse about leadership that is an important part of, you know, the science on community-based natural resource management, environmental governance generally. And honestly, it also reminds me of the funny thing about being a social scientist is that we're all one of the things that we study. <laughs> so we all have this, you know, we're all kind of informally learning in some ways about you know, what it means to be a leader in our own communities and how does that relate to the leaders that we study in these other communities of natural resource users, et cetera. And one of the things that I've thought about in terms of being a project leader is sometimes where the question is like, what does it mean to be a good leader? And sometimes, you know, we want leaders to be accountable. Well, all we always want, presumably leaders to be accountable. And, And this is kind of what I felt like I was hearing from you, Emma, in terms of wanting participation, wanting, think, you know, not wanting to tell people what to do. And um, I guess my question is about, because I, I have that same sense that that's really important. And sometimes I get the sense that the people that I'm leading at a particular project really just want me to sort stuff out and make it easy for them to do what they're going to do in the project um, in their spare time you know, and, and I've, you know, I've been on, cause we all kind of take turns sometimes being leaders and followers in different projects. And sometimes when I'm the follower, I feel this, I feel that way. It's like, please just, <laughs> just make this easy for you, me. Tell just me tell me I do. want, exactly. I want you to tell me what to do <laughs> and then I'll just do it. Um, have you, have you seen that kind of balance needing to be struck in this work? And sometimes people kind of just wanting you to boss them around or like, you know, how have you experienced that?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, like I said, a lot of this is being driven by me. There is um, a small group and kind of who I've been working with as kind of advisors and they've been really, really helpful. We've had a couple of meetings and I guess they're there to make sure I don't make any drastically horrible decisions. Um, But I think so far because it's really new with the network, all ideas are really good. They're all really great potential ideas. There's nothing that's been said that's like, oh no, that's a really awful idea. It might not be feasible. And I guess my the biggest thing I need to do is manage expectations. So at workshops and things, I need to be like, look, I can't promise that I can do all of these things that you're suggesting that the network could do because this is all being led by me currently. It's it's unfunded. So it's a, it's a labor of love and it's something that will yeah. hopefully grow in time. But I guess, you know, yes, I'm really happy to, lead the network it's it's been fantastic and it's it's been it's resulted in some fantastic conversations for me and been fascinating to watch it grow um but there's also needing to manage expectations and also say you know perhaps it's something we can work on together and maybe there are opportunities for collaboration with the network so you know we've we've talked about potentially um linking up with the coastal partnership network in the uk and things like that so definitely um opportunities to um give away some a little bit of that responsibility sure. yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i think in time i think you know you always see people saying i just i just need you to tell me what what you want me to do you, you tell me and then we'll talk about it and you know in workshops where you're trying to get people to talk about what the opportunities might be or what what future initiatives could be you've got to give them a little bit to get mm-hmm. some conversation going yeah,
0: yeah how do you how do you envision kind of passing that on or building it forward, you mentioned a couple times, you know, it's mostly you driving a lot of these initiatives. How does it move forward? You know, how does it grow from there? How do you start assigning, you know, ownership to people within the network? Or is that something that kind of naturally grows out of it? Or is that something where, you know, there can be different positions or a steering committee or something like this where people can start to bring ownership into it and, and, and the community can grow organically?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we, we had a meeting in um in January um to kind of start thinking about what a committee might look like and then what positions could be within that to kind of take some of the um I suppose some of the load me and um, so things like communications to support the newsletter helping manage the membership although we've just switched our um our website so it should be a fairly automated system now for signing up to um the newsletter thinking about whether or not we want to formalize membership in, in any way or thinking about you know what, what we might want to do to try and help fund the network moving forward that's obviously a big concern um and then um in terms of growing i guess thinking about how we can Make sure there's a presence in other places. obviously i'm I'm based in, in the UK and and there's interest from across the world. So one of the things that's been suggested is having, I guess regional sections or regional chapters um, so that that pe- other people can kind of take hold of it that we could have and um, we could host pages on the website and then kind of that that ownership, you know be under our banner, but it's not kind of being driven by me excuse me <clears throat> um yes yeah, so it wouldn't necessarily be driven by me or by by the UK based committee as such it'd be driven by those people and um, working in other places um on on the UK scale we've already got that happening on a more regional and um, basis where we have um oxide plym started so it's marine social science kind of meetups in plymouth in the southwest of the UK we've had three of those so far and they're being run um, and coordinated by a phd students um, and they're really informal meetups, but it's, again, just about creating that sense of community. A lot of people um, seem to be working, kind of, you know, they might be the only person working in marine social sciences in their institution, and they might feel quite isolated, and it's about giving them a space or, or an opportunity to come and talk to like-minded people, thinking about collaborations, um, and we've had a couple of, um, kind of very early conversations with researchers in other places so in Australia and other other countries thinking about setting up their own um, kind of regional or local meetups or or I guess you know in time more formally chapters of of the Mars Oxide network which I think would just be amazing it would just be amazing if we could, could grow it in that way um, but at the moment I think the you know just creating that space and that opportunity for people to have those conversations um, has been a real Um, really positive thing to watch.
0: Where have most of those conversations been taking place? Is is that mostly on Twitter, you would say?
1: Yeah, yeah. People will contact me, at least initially on Twitter, and then you know I'll arrange to have a chat with them. Yeah. But Twitter has been fantastic. I mean, we have talked about setting up other um, social media profiles and maybe using things like Facebook and LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is probably the one we'll do next um, because I think we're missing maybe a without trying to send ages at all but maybe it's sli- just a slightly different audience of people that don't use Twitter and um, but maybe do use LinkedIn for work and I think it would be good for us to have that um, platform as well. but obviously that's an extra um, demand on time resources so at the moment we we found Twitter to be really effective.
0: right yeah I, was, I wanted to ask about Twitter I mean so there's such the, the following has grown so quickly on Twitter yeah. and what is your experience of like the benefits of Twitter but then also some of the shortcomings or things that are missing from the platform?
1: Um, well, so, I mean, in terms of the benefits, it was such a quick and easy way to raise the profile and say, we're here. This is what we're doing. Um, and, you know, talk to us, sign up, not sign up officially, but, like, you know, engage with us. Um, and it worked really, really well. I think part of that is just down to um, the increase in research. And, 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 and the, I think there is a growing profile around the kind of work that we do. Um, and more and more people are getting involved in and wanting to talk about it which I think is fantastic um, I think having the website as a way to um, kind of say we can promote things our website is, is very much a work in progress but we have got it and we will continue to develop it over the next few months um, and having the website to kind of fall back on through Twitter has been really useful so we've started to um, set up a series of case studies on the website that go out through our newsletter, but can also get promoted through Twitter, um, which has been great. Um, yeah, then, I
0: wanted to ask about the case studies. I was looking at the website today. What is the what is kind of the purpose or the vision of the case studies on the on the website?
1: So the the, the case studies kind of came about because it came out from the workshop that I held in um, in Malaysia, and um, where there was a feeling from. A lot of people in the room who maybe weren't necessarily social scientists, but having some sort of understanding of how and where social science can be used within projects, what the potential impacts of using social sciences can be, you know, where's the the policy impact been? Where's the behavior change been? What's the success of using those approaches been for research and for um, marine and coastal management more broadly been Mm -hmm. and how, you know, having evidence of that through a series of case studies or success stories or just evidence would be really really useful to continue to raise the profile and also raise understanding of how you know of our discipline and of what we do so um we decided that that would be something that be a really nice thing to post on the website we have two up there at the moment and um, we've been working with the science writer from UN environment and um, world conservation monitoring center to develop those and she's done some amazing interviews with i think we have 15 interviews so far so we've got a bit of a backlog to get through um, and those case studies will come out um, gradually over time. We're hoping to automate it a bit more um, so that we'll actually be kind of a, a page on the website that people can submit information on that way and then we can do a bit of um, fact checking and validation on that as well. And it's just a good way of promoting people getting a chance to promote their research. Um, and, and But in a way that's maybe a little bit more um, user-friendly for those people who aren't maybe comfortable or or new to working within or with marine social sciences. Um, I think as really was the, the initial vision or the driver behind the case study element. Um,
0: mm-hmm. I know that's something Michael and I also discussed potentially within the, the ESS network is to develop some sort of e- more easily accessible wiki-style database. Maybe, Michael, you can yeah. say a few things to that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really in line with what, you're, what you've been talking about, Emma. It's really actually exciting to hear, uh, you know, other folks having these same ideas. It's how do we actually get a lot of these materials out there, whether they're simple case study oriented reports so we can just like ease, more easily digest what we're all doing in like these disparate parts of the world. And then methods, too, like how do we it's really just what you were talking about. It's how do we actually have some kind of primer knowledge base wiki something so that we're implementing more standard methods across some of these cases, too. I mean, I, I, it, there's a book, I mean, we've been talking about the language of working together. And a lot of, for me, this is um, inspired by this book from 2010 with Amy Potip, Marjorie Jensen, and Lynn Ostrom called Working Together. And they, they describe this as kind of the the frontier of a lot of this work, is to try to make it more formally collaborative in some of these ways.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Making the information accessible, making it, um, as you said, easily digestible, um, mm-hmm. is really important. But and, and the idea of standardisation has come up, and there's been a little bit of pushback <laughs> to sure. standardisation yeah. um, when you're talking about social science. There's A little bit, about, ooh, a bit of a oh, bit a sharp intake of breath. Um, but you know, it's all about making sure people know that we're not talking about standardising the whole discipline because that wouldn't be possible. Right. Um, but, you know, it definitely has benefits in certain cases for feeding into policy and decision making um, and also for replication or repeating work or using best practice. And I think there's definitely some scope for us to think about that. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, what about the, I think I cut you off on that, any any kind of negative sides of Twitter that you've experienced? Oh,
1: yeah, we were saying about Twitter. Um so the other thing I was going to say, actually the positive side of things is that people really have been um, sharing papers and sharing job opportunities and, and using mm-hmm. um, the Mars Oxide, um platform as a way to do that. And I think it's really helped them reach a wider audience, which is fantastic. I mean, I do a little bit of a troll every day and email myself stuff that I can go in the next newsletter, but it, people do, have been directly sending things to me. And Ed Heidozan set up the, um, uh, the Mars Oxide hashtag initially, and I nicked it from him to, to have it as the, the Twitter handle for the network. <laughs> but it's meant that it's created a really nice community in a way of, you know, that we are sharing information in a really um, findable and traceable way, I guess, by having that, that um, platform for us. In terms of the negatives, I guess, you know, it's very little scope for um, active discussion and that's one of the reasons we were thinking about having LinkedIn, because it means people can kind of have discussion boards that's come up in our workshops as well as having some sort of space on a website or, or, you know, in some sort of formats that would support more um, active and ongoing um, conversations between you know, various people across the world. And I think that's something that you, know, you can do that to a certain degree with Twitter, but not, not to the same extent as you might be able to in other formats. Um, I can't think of anything else necessarily. I think we've, we've found it to be really positive so far. I mean obviously Twitter has its limitations but I think if for, for growing a community and getting information out to people quickly and easily in an accessible way it's been really quite useful for that. I yeah think that's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, I guess there is obviously the important thing to remember that we are not reaching an audience and it's why we've got the newsletter as well um, is because there are a number of people on our newsletter who don't use Twitter and don't sign up to social media at all and so if they weren't signed up to our newsletter they wouldn't be involved in the network so I think right. we, we you know, we made the decision to kind of make sure we were covering our bases that way as well um, and so that we're not preventing those people from being involved because they choose not to
0: <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. I think I'd asked you a couple weeks ago when we were in touch. Is you know when you think back on the on the last year or so in developing the platform, is there anything that you might have done differently from the beginning to kind of to help establish the network or to with the with the Twitter or with the website or something that you you would you would go back and say okay we should have done that from the beginning of, of the process
1: i think we didn't have the website up and running straight away so i think we had the twitter for about five months and so we started that i think in the april may sort of time um, and we didn't have a website until september until we launched officially launched at the conference in in september and i think it would have been good to have um the to have something to talk to people about i think we kind of i got quite excited and i thought this is such a great idea we just need to kind of build on the momentum and not lose that momentum that it kind of happened really really quickly and so I was really keen to to develop that and and capitalize on it but I think it meant I had things went a bit quiet for a little while because there wasn't very much happening it was all kind of happening behind the scenes and so I think having a bit more doing a bit more thinking about what we were going to do with um, the twitter profile once I had it was probably something I maybe would now put a little bit more thought into and think about how it was going to be (laughs) you know I knew what I was trying to do I knew I was trying to raise a you know raise the profile but I didn't think about what I was going to say when people asked me oh so is there a website I can look at or you know is there a newsletter I can sign up to we, we haven't got to that point yet um so maybe that would maybe be done a little bit differently um
0: yeah, can think, you just say the uh, the at the at handle and the, the website name for people who, who might not be familiar with it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the the um, website is marsocci.net. You can email us on info at marsocci.net um and the web and the Twitter handle is at marsocci. All very consistent, all on brand, which was lucky. Um, um Anything else that we would have done differently?
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the questions was, you know, because we were trying to develop this this podcast platform, and that was going to be linked into the Environmental Social Science Network. We're kind of thinking, yeah. you know, what are the useful tools? What are kind of the 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 ways people liked to engage in the beginning? I think we're going to we're going to get a Twitter account going as well for sometime soon, and hopefully launch this podcast um, as well. Um, and that's going to be some new territory for us i mean michael did you have any other questions like in relation to starting their the mar social science platform
2: uh nothing that's occurring to me now no i'm just super impressed by everything that you all have been doing i mean particularly you emma it's um it's inspiring
1: oh thank you well i think it's i mean i think it's it would have been such a missed opportunity to not mm. continue with it i think I, yeah, I mean, people always ask me about funding for it and kind of ask how, why I'm doing it when it's not funded. But I think it's, I think it's really important, and I think it's really brought together a really diverse community of people that are, I think, are really enjoying getting to talk to each other, and mm.
0: that's
1: that's been fantastic. It's been so fun to watch that and see how it's grown over over the um the year, um. And I think hopefully it will just continue to do so. So I think we're, we're getting more opportunities. We're getting asked to contribute to more things. You know, as I said, we're not a formal group at the moment. So I think that's something we need to think about is how we can maybe contribute to um, policy discussions in the UK, whether it's something we want to contribute to, whether it's something we can. You know, thinking about what our place might be in the next five years and thinking about our longer term goals is, is something that we, we want to think about. Um, but for now, I think we've, yeah, the community is doing a great job of um, building itself as well with a little bit of steering from me but it's you know it's really been this very organic process which has been brilliant
0: mm-hmm. have you guys thought about formal membership as part of the, the network some way to identify that be that you are actually a member of, of that network
1: yeah we have I mean we've not really figured out how that would what that would look like I and mean, how we would what it you know what that would entail, and what I guess what the what the offer is, because obviously if you're if you're inviting people to be a member, what's their offer? What are they getting from that membership? And so we we, right. we we've started to think about that, but we need to have a little bit more of a, you know, we need to develop that idea a little bit more and think about making sure that we're formalising membership in a way that you know that it's actually beneficial for people and that you know it's something that they would be willing to either sign up to formally or if we needed to, obviously with funding issues, if we needed to maybe think about starting some sort of subscription or, you know, there are, there are so many options. and we, we just haven't figured out what that all looks like um, just yet. Right. Right. Too many options.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Emma, I'm, I'm also interested in what you're working in personally at the moment research wise. Um, yeah if you have any uh, you want to share any cool projects that you guys have coming up or that you've been working on recently
1: yeah so i um like i said i work on a um i was working on a, a welsh government funded project called Brazil coast which was looking at the um, resilience of salt marshes in wales and thinking about it from a really really mixed um perspective so looking at the ecological and the I guess the social resilience of salt marshes So thinking about ecosystem services um and and really well my role was thinking about ecosystem services and their value and how that's translated into governance and and management decisions that's also linked to another project which is funded by the valuing nature program um, here in the uk which is really it's a really interesting program of projects because it's starting to really focus on the health and well-being benefits of the environment and um, which is a really innovative um, program of research. And we work on a project called CoastWeb, which again is salt marsh focused, and it's looking at um, the health and well-being benefits of coastal environments in the context of coastal hazards. So it's looking at salt marshes from a flooding and coastal erosion perspective and how they mitigate for or against um, Impacts around climate change and sea level rise, and how that might influence well-being. So we've got a really interesting team working on that project, with um, psychologists and artists, and um, again with some, you know, people working within it, ecology and sediment processes. Um, and then we are working on the IRO um, with my colleague and um, Megan Alexander here at Cardiff. She's we're working on the governance side of it for this particular project. So that's been really fascinating. That project finishes. Um, I think it's February next year um, and then the department we've just been awarded um, some funding through Interreg which is one of the European funding programs for Ireland-Wales and um, we've got just just find out we've been awarded funding for a climate change adaptation project working with the um being led by UCD in Ireland so the University College Dublin in Ireland um, and we'll be looking at um it's a two-year pilot project to look at Climate change and coastal communities in the west of Wales and east coast of Ireland. Think about how we can engage with coastal communities on climate change adaptation and um, recognising signs of climate change um, and feeding all that into uh, really innovative technologies and techniques to kind of think of solutions and, and adaptation techniques. So that's quite exciting. Um, and then Personally I've also been doing some consultancy work for DEFRA so I I did this piece of work I mentioned earlier around understanding the marine social sciences landscape within the UK and that's been brilliant to be involved in I've really really enjoyed that. That's just coming to an end now but it's been you know really fascinating to get to speak to so many people across the UK on marine social sciences. Um, Obviously there's a connection to the network but it's not being done under the network's kind of umbrella but it's it's been a fantastic way of promoting the network but also finding out what people are concerned about what people are working on where there might be opportunities in the future what the kind of interesting research themes there might be so things like social justice and equity came up a lot and um, women in maritime industries came up a lot as an area of kind of interest for people and um, cultural system services health and well-being so it's a real been a real mix of really interesting findings from that piece of work as well. Um,
0: well, wow, cool. Are yeah. there any, any recent publications you want to guide anyone who's interested towards from those projects? Um,
1: so the work from, for DEFRA will be coming out um, and be published in the next couple of months, and that'll be on the gov.uk website um, published by DEFRA. Um, there are a couple of publications from Brazil Coast, and um, one looking at um, stakeholder perceptions towards salt marshes. Um, and also in Wales and also one looking at that we've had some really new um, and interesting legislation in Wales um over the last few years particularly looking at um, the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act um which really places well-being at the f- kind of centre of all governance and management decisions so it's looking at well-being from a very really mixed perspective looking at social economic environmental cultural mm, is there another one yeah I mean it might be it so, really thinking of well being, really quite taking a broad definition of it. Um, and so, I did a review of um, some of those new pieces of legislation for the Brazil Coast project and looked at um, how they could be used to deliver um, on kind of ecosystem services management and whether or not they actually take account of ecosystem services effectively. Um, so, that's, that's been out. That's, two of those are in marine, marine policy. Cool. If anybody's interested, I can send you the links if you want.
0: Great. Great. Well, Michael, do you have any other follow-up questions for Emma?
2: No, this has been terrific. Thanks for spending some of your time with us.
1: No problem. Yeah, Emma, no where worries. can
0: people find you if on Twitter or a website or elsewhere?
1: So on Twitter, um, you can find me at Emma J. McKinley. Um, I don't think I have a website, but you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, Great. Or you can email me at the, at the university.
0: Great. Yeah, well, Emma, we'll be coming up on an hour here. Thanks so much. It's been... I know you guys have done such great work with marine social science, and it's been a pleasure to talk with you guys. And hopefully, we can stay in contact as uh, as this continues to evolve.
1: Absolutely, we look forward to seeing how you guys develop, and look forward to the podcast being launched. Thanks very much for of me, and let me know if there's anything that we can do. Make sure you let me know, you know, if we can send stuff out through the network. And I think there's really an opportunity to work supportively and collaboratively, you know. Absolutely.
0: Months, definitely. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Emma.